Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. So this is Thanksgiving, eh? Yeah, where would you rather be? I'm really thankful to be in a hotel room in Erie, Pennsylvania, of all places. There's coffee downstairs, though it's got a nice little happy Thanksgiving note. Yeah, but it should have a we're sorry we make lousy coffee note because it's terrible. What? We always talk about this place having some of the best coffee. Sault Ste. Marie, my friend. Yeah, I don't mind it here. Starbucks. I love it. The sign says Starbucks. The contents of the cup say something completely different. Well, I'm on my fourth today, so I can't really judge. I'm also shaking. Anyway, Pulper, happy Thanksgiving from Erie, PA. Yeah, why not? I love it. We Here we are on the road. Uh, another podcast from a hotel room. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope, your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. All right, Popper, let's get let's get one thing straight right off the top here today. I'm Farwell. He's Pope. At Farwell underscore OHL at underscore Chris Pope. But there's an email address. You got to remind because we got an email sort of from Dana who emailed me directly, which is fine. You want to do that? Go ahead and do that. But he couldn't remember the podcast email. Hey, Dana, it's not too tough. We'll get into the email bag a little later in this podcast. But, Popper, remind them. Remind the fine people. It's real easy. Farwell and Pope at gmail.com. That's where Matt reached out to us as well. How does anybody forget that's the email address? Because we're easily forgettable. That's a good point. Okay. Uh, I don't think Jay McKee will be forgotten easily in Kitchener, but a trend, if you want to call it that, has emerged in the Ontario Hockey League. A couple of seasons ago, mid-season, Troy Smith let go in Saginaw. Last season, mid-season, Todd Gill let go in Owen Sound. Chris Lazary, Alan Latang coming in, respectively. And this season, it's Jay McKee, after three full years, going to the playoffs each year with the Kitchener Rangers, out as head coach and in, for now, with the interim title as general manager, Mike McKenzie, to take the reins. Yeah, we're to start on this one, eh? Uh, (laughs) It came as a shock um, to me. I know some fans around Rangers Nation have been calling for Jay's head, and we've went on at length about... um, me questioning those fans and questioning their maybe not knowledge but their motive behind it because if you're going to fire a head coach and you're going to bring that up just because you watched and have watched this team throughout the regular season I feel like you have to come with more concrete evidence and and better reasoning behind he's lost the room the guys aren't hustling that just doesn't make sense to me anymore with the guys aren't hustling if that if they're not that's on them I don't know how much motivation you really have as a head coach anymore because if you're not getting up if you're 17 to 20 years old if you're not coming to the rink prepared and and doing things the right way trying to advance your hockey career which is the goal of all of these players to make it to the National Hockey League or play pro hockey then what are you doing? You're only hurting yourself. And I know that sounds easier said than done, 
But if you're going to come and say, fire the head coach, then I want to hear stuff like, I don't like his power play. Um, what don't you like about it? Well, he, he's going with a 1-3-1 one, one instead of a 1-2-2 one, one, two, two or something. I don't like his defensive style. He hasn't juggled the lines. Don't give me this lost the room because Riley Damiani was quoted in the paper about talking about how Jay's one of the best coaches, if not the best coach he's ever played for, and how everybody knew what Jay did for the players, cutting video until two in the morning some mornings how he put the effort in and I think if you're Jay McKee I think you can hold your head high and realize that you went one shot away from an OHL final two years ago and got blood from a stone last year in what was essentially almost like a rebuilding year but still finished the best of the rest um it came as a shock to me and I, I've, I, I've said it before I think the Kitchener Rangers franchise is less off without Jay McKee. All right let's hear from the man who made the decision I can only imagine what the conversation was like over there at 1963 Eugene George Way in Kitchener when Mike McKenzie walked into Jay McKee's office and told him that it was his last day on the job. Here is general manager and currently interim head coach of the Kitchener Rangers Mike McKenzie. Would you describe yesterday as your most difficult day as general manager of this hockey club? Yeah, I definitely would. It's uh, it's never something you want to do or plan on doing. And uh, I like to think of myself as a patient person and, and someone that doesn't make uh, decisions like this very lightly. And it's never easy letting anyone go, um, no matter who it is. But um, when it's Jay, a guy that, I've got to know very well over the last few years and, and worked well with and had a good relationship and someone that I have a lot of respect for as a person. Um, it makes that decision even harder. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, my number one loyalty uh, belongs to the, the Kitchen Rangers Hockey Club and and uh, sometimes tough decisions have to be made. And this, this was definitely a tough one that, isn't much fun doing but um that was the direction we decided to go and and here we are what were the factors that led you to make this decision mike well i think there's a couple really obvious ones and then some not so obvious ones i mean if you take a look at the standings right now um that's a very obvious one the fact that our team is in last place in the western conference um in a year where we had much higher expectations for ourselves and I think everyone throughout our league in, in the OHL had higher expectations for ourselves. And, um, you know, some of this has to be owned by everyone involved. Um, you know, from myself to, you know, the, all the coaching staff, right down to the players. Um, but, you know, when you're in last place in the Western Conference and you have a lot of players that are underperforming and can't seem to get anything going, then. Um, you know, that's that's a major problem and we want to make sure that this is a place where where um you know players are developing and getting better and in turn by developing and getting better individually um, on a day to day basis, then that will lead to to more wins. And um I think when someone pays money to come to the kitchen auditorium on Friday night, um, throughout the year there's there's certain things that they want to see and some of those things include a winning hockey team which which sometimes you don't always have control over every single night but you want to give yourself the best chance to win 
And and doing that means, in my eyes at least, it means playing aggressive and it means competing um, and it means having a, an up-tempo style of play that people can be excited to come watch every night on Friday and hopefully it leads to wins. But um, I think at this point, I think we we owe it to our fan base to when they come to the rink on Friday night that you know even if there is no win they can leave the building knowing that the team competed as hard as they possibly could um, consistently and um, can see development in our players and can um, go home feeling like they were excited um, by the style of play as well. So um, those are some of the factors. Like I said, it's not easy and it's it's not a perfect science, but. Um, that was kind of the thought process a little bit on um, what we're thinking. Two years removed from a Western Conference final and really one shot away from an OHL final, Mike, is is that another way of saying that maybe it seemed to you as though uh, the players had stopped listening to Jay McKee? He had lost the room, as is sometimes said. Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use that expression. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think Jay lost the room. I think there's a lot of guys in there that had a close relationship with Jay, and uh, you know, we're upset to see him go. Obviously, I'm a, I'm upset to see him go. He's a good person. Um, so, I, I wouldn't say that. Um, but like I said, when there's, you know, when you're at the bottom of the league standings, you know, you can you can slice it whatever way you want, and and you know but something isn't working you know what what that is you know we we can argue about it and i'm sure a lot of people have different viewpoints on whether it was this or that or the other thing but um at the end of the day it's it's uh fairly or unfairly and i'm in the same boat um you know when you're in hockey or professional sports or any sports or even any business um not in sports you get judged on your results and uh our results aren't good right now um as a team and uh you know so that's that's where we're at were there any differences in philosophy mike between how you thought the team should play or should be developing as opposed to the way jay was developing it or the way he thought the team should play um, I, I'd prefer not to go into specifics on that. Me and Jay had a really good relationship. Um, we talked constantly, um, daily about, you know, things we can do, where we wanted to go and, and things like that. Um, I'd rather not get into specifics on, you know, style of play and things like that. Um, at, at this point, um, I don't think it's the right time to, to do that. You get the interim head coach's title on you now, so you're going to hold the duo role. What does that mean for you and the hockey club? Well, it's going to be a lot of work, and it's a challenge, and it's something um, I'm definitely up for. It's, it's not a permanent um, solution to the problem. Um, we're going to take things day by day here and um, you know, make sure that we're doing all those things that I mentioned earlier, and we are competing um, we're going to play as a five-man unit. We're going to play aggressive. And we're going to try to create more offense. And ultimately, we're going to make sh- try to make sure that these guys come out and, and play hard every game. Um, but, you know, that being said, we want to make sure that um, we don't rush a decision on who's going to be the next coach here. 
Um, it's an important time. It's an important process. This will be my first time hiring a head coach as of his general manager. Um, as Jay was here, um, and we coached alongside together, actually, when I was kind of in that dual role as assistant coach, assistant GM. So this will be my first time getting to hire a head coach, and I want to make sure that we go through the right process and right steps and to get it right and to get the right person and to get a person that um, we feel matches the identity of what we're trying to do and the way we're trying to develop our players individually and also the style of play and the style of play we want to play for the type of players we're drafting as well. I think that will be important. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be a long list of people. It's a great job, um, obviously, and there's going to be no shortage of applicants. And uh, But the last thing we want to do here is rush the process, make a decision, and uh, look back on it and think, well, maybe we could have waited and, uh, and, and had more applicants or better applicants um, in the offseason. So we're definitely not going to be in any rush to do that. But the primary goal right now, is starting on Thursday night in Erie is to um, get our team back on track um, on the ice. Is that to say when you're talking, Mike, about not rushing the decision and maybe more applicants in the offseason that you will likely hold the role of head coach interim or not for the remainder of this season? Uh, we're, we're not tying ourselves to anything. Um I mean, it is possible depending on how the year goes, but it is also possible that the perfect person comes along a month from now and, and we feel comfortable with that person. And he's for sure a guy. Um, you know, we just don't want to feel like we have to do anything, um, but we know that we can do something, if that makes any sense. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a, a two-way street in that sense that we're not opposed to, but we also know that, rushing the process would probably be doing a disservice to to everyone involved and that uh, we really want to make sure that we, we get the right person. And uh, and sometimes that takes time to go through and, and really interview and, and make sure that it's someone that we really, really feel comfortable with for all those reasons I already noted. Is there any basic criteria that would be in place for a new head coach in terms of, for example, having been a head coach in the league before? Um, I'm open to anything um there's going to be lots of people that have been coaches in the league before there's going to be lots that haven't there's going to be guys from i'm sure from university from professional hockey um from all over the place um so i think it would it would be um again a disservice to us to try to narrow it down right off the hop and say we're looking for specifically someone that's done this or specifically someone that, um, you know, has this. I think we need to sort through who all the people that have interest are and then uh, carefully comb through and, 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 you know, talk to them and see what their philosophy is. See, see how they develop players, what their, what their philosophy is on developing players, how they're, how they're going to structure practices, how they're going to, um, handle discipline, you know, things like that, little things that maybe sometimes you don't really think about as a kind of an outside observer, but these are all really, really, really important things to building a hockey team, especially when you're dealing with 16- to 20-year-old kids um, that are at the peak of their development stage and they need guidance, they need someone to teach them what's right and what's wrong, and they need to be held accountable 
um, and they need to know that there's a right way to do things, there's, there's a wrong way to do things, and that's our job as coaches is to is to teach them that and not only grow them into very good hockey players, but also teach them life lessons along the way and, and make sure that when they leave here, they're a way better hockey player and they're prepared for once, what's next on the ice and they're also prepared for life outside of hockey as well. So those are definitely some of the main focuses that we're going to look at when uh, hiring a new person. As high as the expectations were coming into the season, Mike, and as disappointing as the early part of the season has been, uh, and as tough as it is to look at the Kitchener Rangers, your team, in 10th place in the Western Conference, there are 47 games to play. How confident are you with the group that you have, assistant coaches included, as well as players, that this can be turned around? Well, I think if we didn't have belief, then um, we wouldn't have made the decision we did. Um, plain and simple i think i think if we had thrown the towel in and had given up on the season then it would have been a lot easier just to kind of continue on with the status quo and and be uh content to be a 10th 9th 8th place team um and and you know just be kind of a bottom feeder this year and and, uh, and do that but you know we decided that that wasn't the case and that we do still believe um Looking at our team, I think we have an interesting team. I think we've underachieved, obviously. Um, I think if you look at guys like Liam Howell, Jonathan Yancis, Riley Damiani, Greg Morales um, up front, those are the four guys that obviously need to carry the mail for us. Um, And I think they will. Um, They'll they'll start to show the players they are. They've they've all had kind of rough starts, and injury does play a factor as well in, in a couple of them. But I think those guys, you know, need to take charge and and lead the way. And um, you know, below them, I think we have a really intriguing crop of young players um, with our O twos and O threes, and uh, a group that's probably you know in one of the top groups in terms of young players in the league and. I, I saw a stat the other day um, where we were second in rookie point total for uh, for all rookies in the league per team this year, and that's a real positive sign that we have these guys coming up, um, good young players to build around. So um, I think it's a good mix of guys, but ultimately the the results have to happen on the ice, and, and we can look at the roster and say it's great, but at some point we need to go out and, and play well and win hockey games, and that's the bottom line. So you get it right there in the words of the general manager who had to make the decision and let Jay McKee know the news that he was no longer the coach of the Kitchener Rangers, and now Mike McKenzie is going to have, as you heard him say, his first opportunity for a hire of his own as head coach in Kitchener under his time as general manager. You mentioned earlier, Polper, and we were talking about this for a couple of weeks because uh, the fan base is restless, and I get it. It's a passionate fan base in Kitchener. It it doesn't just expect results. It demands them, and they have grown accustomed, at least for the better part of the franchise's history, to winning, and it, it will not take losing lightly the most interesting thing to me in all of this is for weeks i was getting bombarded with tweets primarily emails phone calls on my post game show suggesting that it's time for the coach to be let go 
and I, I kid you not, I even went back and looked before we began this episode of the podcast. And since the news broke, not one. I'm not joking. Not one person has been, thank God, it's finally done. I've been saying this for the only feedback I've been getting on Twitter, via email, and anywhere else is that this wasn't the coach's fault. Jay McKee is just the fall guy, et cetera, et cetera. I, I find that very confusing, but I guess maybe those who were restless and were saying, let's fire the coach, now feel like they got their way and they've moved on to other things. They've got other axes to grind. Well, I think those fans that are commenting now about how he was just the fall guy are probably more correct than the ones that were saying, calling for his head beforehand. Um, I think sometimes when it's something like that, it's the 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 people who are calling for a drastic change like that are the ones that just want to be the loudest, right? It's like, I want to be the loudest voice in the room because that means I'm right. Because when you try to have a conversation with some of those people, it doesn't turn into a conversation. It just turns into, I was right, you were wrong. And now I want an apology. Why do you want an apology? If you think you're getting an apology out of me for an opinion that I had, you're completely off the rails. Um, Excuse me. This is, again, this is a guy who wanted to be in Kitchener. He said numerous times that he wanted to be here. He didn't want another coaching job unless it was in the National Hockey League for one other team. This is a guy who, again, went from a first-round exit to the Western Conference Final, double overtime, Game 7 loss to the number one ranked team in the country. This is a guy that got blood from a stone last year, 800-plus games in the National Hockey League. Players coach up and down the line. We talked about Riley Damiani's comments. He, and we saw it firsthand, this guy wore every loss. Every loss he had, he felt he could have been better, and he took ownership of those losses in a way that few coaches do. The one knock against Mike Babcock is that he never fell on the sword for his team. He would always find another reason they lost. Um, when Jay talked about the team needing to be better, he would say, it starts with me or you know, the, we as a coaching staff and the players need to be better. We need to get them more ready for the game, stuff like that. Um, and on a person, <clears throat> excuse me, personal level, he never once like uh, said no to an interview from from us or media. He answered all the hard questions we asked. Uh, he was kind to us on the road. We never felt like ride-alongs. Um, and for for a coach to have the trust of those players that he did last year, and to start this year with points in nine of ten, and then fall on some hard times, obviously with injuries and a losing streak. Um, but still come out and face the media the way he did and, and try to fight through that frustration and to do the players' coaching uh, that he did of playing the all the goals they scored throughout the year on a loop in the room. Like, if this isn't head coaching material, I don't know what is. You talk about players being injured in that second 10, right? It was the tale of two 10s beginning this <coughs> season for the Kitchener Rangers. Points in nine of their first 10, points in two of their next 10 in fact next 11 as it turns out being let go was Jay McKee after 21 games but the great unanswerable question now that will remain out there in the ether is if this team and it's still an if but gets back on track as Jacob Ingham has now returned to goal Liam Howell is back in the lineup Donovan Sabrango is back in the lineup Greg Morales is back in the lineup yes I mentioned those names because they're big names and they were all injured parties under Jay McKee is it because the team got healthy that it's starting to roll or is it because the 
coaching change was made. That will, as I said, remain the great unanswerable question in all of this. I have been on this same side of this debate for many years, and I've had some really good conversations with people who have strong opinions and and offer some pretty good arguments as to how a coach, the impact a coach can have on a game, how a coach impacts a team, et cetera, et cetera. I've never been a huge believer. Like I get that in sports, this is what happens at this level and above in all of the sports, not just hockey, that you can't fire all the players. So you fire the coach, but I've never been a big believer in that as a philosophy. I don't think you go from Game 7, double overtime of the Western Conference Final to a struggling start to a season and, and become a bad coach in the span of that 80 or 90 games. I just don't think that's the way it goes. But I, I understand this and my my approach now, and it, it's, I think, a little bit different because I don't have a vested interest, the same vested interest that a fan would, but I just think, you know what? There are people running hockey organizations that know how to run or at least think they know how to run or are qualified to run hockey organizations. I'm qualified to talk on the radio and talk into a podcast, and maybe I'm marginally qualified for that, but this is what I do. That's what they do. I will let them make the decisions to for what's best for their organization, but I, I've never been a fan of I've just never really understood the philosophy. Well, you know what? The team's struggling. We've got to fire the coach. I, I, I don't like it either. I get why, because you want to shake up that dressing room, and it's easier to fire the coach than it is to make a bunch of moves and trade for trade players away, especially after Mike McKenzie went out and acquired guys like Jacob Bingham and Liam Howell in the offseason. To tear it down kind of is backwards thinking. So I like we, we've talked. So if they do go for a sell-off, then so you traded draft picks away to bring in two quality players in Ingham and Howell and then halfway through the year or come January just going to trade overagers for more draft picks it's it's a, it's a total waste of a year um you've already kind of pushed some chips in you you can't pull those chips back and then you're just going to it just doesn't seem seem right you can pull those chips back and there are some suggestions even from a media colleague of ours to do that in Kitchener I'm going to go on record right now as of late November end of November, basically, and say, you don't do that with this team. Like, I I get the sentiment, I understand the frustration, but I don't think you dismantle what you have done unless things go really horribly up until Christmas and then you're left with little choice. Yeah, I just think it's, pardon my language, but it's ass-backwards thinking. Um, And I'm sorry for our underage listeners for that word. I'll pay a quarter to the the bin. Um, I just, they've talked a lot around Kitchener about building a culture here, um, changing the culture from uh, back when they selected Adam Masker in third overall, I believe it was, in the OHL draft. They wanted to change that culture and get to a winning culture, win every year. But when you're, you know, you're flipping coaching staffs, he had, I think, six six assistant coaches in four years. This is this will be their, uh, what, one, two, three, four, Mac, McKenzie, will be their fourth head coach in five years. Um or, or five and a half, four and a half, or five and a half years. It, there's all these different viewpoints and different uh, strategies being implemented. And when you have rollover like that, it's tough. You look at Windsor's success, it's because Bundy was there and he was the guy. Everyone knew when I get drafted by Windsor, I go to Windsor. Warren Reichel's the guy. London, it's known. Hunters are the guy. 
you when you have those stabilities and those pillars in a franchise i think it does a lot to be honest um the message stays the same and you know what kind of hockey you're going to be playing and you know uh who's going to be there and when you have a guy like jay with 800 nhl games of experience you, you know you trust what he's saying um i obviously mike mckenzie is a smarter man than i when it comes to the game of hockey no doubt about that um and he obviously felt it was time for a change um it'll be his first head coaching hire uh as as a general manager and i think you know as a gm when you start hearing people questioning the team and when you see the losses you know that something needs to change and for whatever reason he just felt that jay needed to go all right we have to uh talk about coaching i think in another vein here on this episode of the podcast by the way he's chris pope at underscore chris pope on twitter i'm mike farwell at farwell underscore ohl the bill peters story heck bill peters fans in kitchener should know him pretty well he was coaching the spokane chiefs when spokane beat the kitchener rangers in the memorial cup final those glory days of 2008 in the city of kitchener and as hosts the rangers made it to the final game but then lost anyway the story is very well documented by this point about uh, bill peters's treatment of akeem alu the language that he used and this is a decade ago for which i'm sorry i don't want to call it I understand the the arguments from people again saying, "Oh, it's something in the past, et cetera, et cetera." Yeah, ten years ago, we we knew very well to not use that kind of language. Uh, this is this is interesting, and then with of course all of the stuff that comes out with Mike Babcock and and how he was uh, with the players, particularly a young guy like Mitch Marner. It's it's really raising some questions, and, and I think you use the phrase poper, and it's a pretty good one. It's almost like hockey's own Me Too movement. I've been calling it a, a day of reckoning of some sort for the game. We're kind of in the midst of it, from Don Cherry to Mike Babcock to Bill Peters, and we're looking at the way uh, the, the, the old guard in the game, if you will, is starting to be challenged a little bit. And one of the best comments... I've seen since this all began to unfold out in Calgary with Bill Peters particularly is if we don't change the culture, then we're not going to be able to attract the wide cross the spectrum demographic that this game needs to not just grow, but survive. And I I think that's a really interesting point in all of this. I'm with you. And I think, you know, we saw the, the me too movement obviously and everything, um, in Hollywood that went down and, and, and comedy with Cosby and Louis C.K. and the bunch. Um, and I think it's starting to, you know, come into the sports world. Um, there is zero place for racism in the game of hockey and in society, in my view, obviously. Um, the the physical altercations that have um, been claimed by players of kicking and choking and you know grabbing by the scruff of the neck there's no place in that i don't think a coach should ever lay their hands on another on a player um when it comes to the mental uh i want to say mental warfare like uh mistreating a player or or telling him that he sucks and that he can't skate and trying to motivate like that it's it's tough because I find it almost like I come obviously from the old guard where, yeah, I had coaches yelling and screaming at me once. I remember one time the coach stopped practice and yelled in front of the entire team, yells at me, Pope, I'll take the expletives out. There were a lot of them. Um, it's not picture day. 
you put your gear on for a reason. Stop the puck. And in front of the entire team, I thought, it's a pretty funny chirp. But he went up one side and down the other. I, I started playing better. I'll say that. Um, sometimes I needed the old kick in the rear end. And I think sometimes as a, as a young player, you do need that kick in the rear end. Um, I just, I'm, I'm apprehensive of now uh, all players that maybe didn't get a fair shake from a coach or they believe they didn't get a fair shake from a coach or didn't like uh, some of the comments made by a coach are now going to come out and try to diminish that coach by some of the comments that he made. But I feel like the just being... For, for lack of a better expression, just being rude to a player is completely different than the physical altercation, the racism stuff. That's completely different. If, if a coach was rude to you or he yelled and screamed and told you that you sucked, you got to take that. Like, I feel like it's almost like that participation trophy. Like, don't be mean to me. Like, you got to develop some tough skin in the game of hockey and in sport and in life. Like, I get it that in a normal workplace, you know, if, if your boss told you you suck, and went up and down one side. He probably wouldn't be your boss for very long. Um, but in, in sports, it, I, I still feel like there is a gray area there. And I know nowadays, you know, you can't say certain things and you can't do certain things. And I think we're changing as a society for the better when it comes to that. I just, I worry that it's going to become like you can't tell a player that he had a bad shift or you can't tell a player... Um, or point out a player's uh, misfortunes or his lack of effort without that player getting upset. And then all of a sudden he comes out into the, the media and everybody rallies around him because the coach was mean. I remember a, a covering a game in this league a good number of years ago. It would have been early on in, in my career, but I was between the benches uh, at this particular game. And I'll be honest with you, I can't remember the score at the end of the first period, but the, the home team was trailing and the goalie did not have a good period. NHL drafted goalie too, uh, late rounder, but still NHL drafted goalie playing in the in the Ontario Hockey League after having been drafted, and the period was so bad that the coach of his team waited at the gate at the door where the players come off the ice instead of just going down the tunnel and back to the dressing room right away, and the goalie was the last one to come off the ice, obviously, and as the, like the second his his skate came up onto the the floor onto the mat the coach was right in his ear and again I'll leave out the expletives but it's you think you're going to go to the NHL with a performance like that in front of this home crowd and this and the you know get it together and you know it was it was it was in your face it was aggressive and I I ear witnessed it firsthand from my perspective down between the benches and I thought well boy oh boy that's the way this coach chose to, and and he had a reputation for sure as being one of the tougher coaches in the Ontario Hockey League, no doubt. I think where we are at today with regard to all of this, following on what you were saying, Popper, is a coach's job is to find the way to manage all 20 of those players in that room. So, for example, I'm I'm a little bit like you, and, you know, in, in some ways, the the job that I do on a regular basis, like my full-time job, is, is similar. It's all based on results. And if I don't have the results, then I'm not doing well enough. And somebody can flat out come to me and say, you're sucking because your ratings suck. And if you don't stop sucking, you're not going to have a job anymore. I'm I'm the kind of person that can take that if that's the way you want to deal with me. But 
maybe my coworkers aren't. So maybe the manager has to, or the coach has to deal with those different personalities in a different way to bring together the cohesive team. I also recall something that Jay McKee said, and it was pretty interesting. He talked about having had coaches that were yelling and screaming a lot and coaches that didn't use that approach. And he said, when I got yelled and screamed that I never went out and played better. So it's uh, it's an interesting thing. I think we've reached a clearly a different age. I mean, look, we could we could tie this all back into parenting, right? And mm-hmm. I, listen, I got the strap, like I got the belt when I was a kid. I got the wooden spoon when I was a kid. We've had a whole <coughs> debate in my lifetime over spanking. So this, that, and the other thing, just to tie it off on the the racism point, though, because I they are completely separate, completely. completely separate. We best not kid ourselves that racism still exists in this game. How many years ago? Less than 10, where Wayne Simmons was playing a preseason game in London and somebody threw a banana on the ice. And I'll never forget, Popper, I'll never forget Mike Fuda, the former general manager of Owen Sound when Wayne was playing there, phoned my post-game show that night after a Kitchener Rangers game and, and just could not say nicer things about the kind of guy that Wayne was and how he didn't deserve this. Well, of course he didn't. But but let's just remember that that happened not 10 years ago in London, Ontario. And I'm not trying to slam London, but like this is still a thing in the game. And you and I saw firsthand just two years ago when Giovanni Smith was acquired by the Kitchener Rangers and there was a police escort to take Giovanni Smith to Game 7 in Sault Ste. Marie because of... And we got to see... Some of these messages that were being sent to, yes, he he graduated to the NHL the next year, to the AHL, but to a kid playing hockey. Yeah, we saw we saw the messages that was real. Um, the the racism that he faced in that playoff run in in Sarnia and Sault Ste. Marie. It was alive and well. And it, it, if you think that it's not in sport and in society, then you're, you're just wrong. It's still out there. There's still people who think skin color matters, um, whether it be black, brown, white, yellow, purple. Some people still think that that matters. Um, and that's why it com- has no place in the game of hockey, has no place in society. Um, that stuff aside, obviously, that's the first thing that kind of launched this Bill Peters um, situation. But then it got into his treatment of players, um, and we and you brought up all the twenty different personalities. Mike Torkey and I talked during an intermission in Kitchener the other day about how hockey can better you for life. And I said, you know, you, there's twenty different personalities in a dressing room trying to integrate yourself amongst the team and the different players, and how you react to them, and how you have to deal with them individually as a player gets you set for life you become a chameleon you learn all the different personalities in the world and as a coach it it it's 10 times um 10 times harder more difficult because you think even just a forward line the the left winger may be that player like you and I who needs that kick in the butt and needs to be you know uh you need to be stern with and yelled at and motivate him that way then you have a centerman who you need to pat his back and tell him he's great and tell him he looks good when he gets to the rink to keep that confidence high and then maybe your right winger he's the type of player that does you don't talk to you you can't you don't want to talk to you just he knows that what he needs to do and you just leave him alone that's just one line so all the personalities in a room, 20-some-odd guys, the coaching nowadays of having to integrate all those personalities, it's a pretty difficult job. And you talked about that coach that lambasted the goalie when he got off the ice. I saw it firsthand with Jay. He sat a player for 10 minutes, and a, a, one of his top players. 
and he stopped him after the game he said you know why you didn't see the first 10 minutes of the second player said yep the slash and jay goes yep it's got to stop that was it perfect way to do it he understood that kid he that child or that kid the player knew what he did knew why it was wrong jay disciplined him and then explained it right away i thought was perfect all right just before we get to the uh, email bag for this episode of the farwell and pope podcast and by the way an interview coming up with a guy who just reached a milestone on our end of the business 500 games still looks like he's 12 years old just for the record mick Lovin himself coming up a little bit later in the podcast but i think we just quickly around the, the league just some of the things that are jumping out at me uh arthur kaliev he's got 27 goals in 26 games it's nuts on pace for 70 the guelph storm after a 10 game winning streak then a shootout loss win again so they've got points in 12 11 of them victories the windsor spitfire some way somehow 11 victories and points in 13 straight games. It's absolutely incredible. The runs, some of these teams that certainly weren't expected to be doing what they're doing, the runs that they're on right now. And then as we record this on Thanksgiving afternoon in Erie, PA, we're coming off a big night in Ottawa, uh, where, or I think they actually played in Kingston either way. The France had <laughs> points in five games, four victories, but they got thumped 11 to 6 by the Ottawa 67s. But Austin Keating, seven points. And you asked me earlier today, is this the team to beat? As in the Ottawa 67s, boy, oh boy, they sure as heck starting to play like they are. Yeah, I don't, there's no question in my mind. I think that coming into the season, I had them circled as the team to beat. Um, and they're obviously showing that uh, I may have been right in that preseason <laughs> prognostication, maybe one of 10. Um, but Austin Keating is a, a top player in this league. They pick up Joseph Greffa, who, as you just noted to me before we started this podcast, has more points than any player on the Kitchener Rangers already this season. Um, you throw in a guy like Marco Rossi who's going to go in the first round of the NHL draft, and that is one heck of a 67s team up there in Ottawa. I think the surprise still to me is Windsor. I, I Like I keep saying, they'll come back down to life. They'll come back down to life. I had them like 4-5 somewhere in there at the start of the year, and they just keep getting points and more points and more points. they got to figure out how to keep the puck out of the net. They're just outscoring teams right now. Um, I, I love to see it. It's entertaining hockey, and I hope fans turn out for the spits. By the way, this just in, Liam Foody is slow. And I say that sarcastically because the London Knights hold a skills competen- uh, competition and, and rookie Stuart Roloff's fastest skater ahead of Liam Foody. You're like, what? But you love the whole idea of a skills competition. I, I love it. I think it's more entertaining than like when you watch the pros. The skills competition is more entertaining than the actual all-star game that they have. I'd get rid of the CHL Russia thing and just do a OHL skills competition. I think it would be awesome throw it in a different city every year and make it like an hour-long, hour, two-hour-long affair, you'd sell out instantly just to see, you know, who's the fastest here, who's got the, you know, the best hands, all the passing and stuff. I think it would just be outstanding for fans to, you know, see how skilled these kids are. It, I, I've i realized it a couple times just throughout the year. Like, you're walking to the bus and, you, you know, the 17-year-old's walking by. You're like, these guys are just kids. And then you watch them play. And you're like, man, are they good. Like, their skill level is off the charts nowadays. And you tend to forget that they have, these guys are, you know, some people around the league, 18 years old, one year away from the National Hockey League. It's crazy. I'm, I'm forgetting. Do you remember who tried to go lacrosse style in Kitchener not too long ago? But, and if, forgetting, but the, the way that these guys pick up the puck 
onto the blade of their stick because he almost did it. I hate the lacrosse-style goal, by the way. That's a whole other podcast. But the way they can pick up the puck, you're talking about this skill. Even if the league, from a logistics and and cost perspective, uh, can't arrange something where a skills competition moves from city to city every year, you've got social media. You've got video content. Get it out there because this could be a great marketing campaign. I think it's underappreciated the skill that exists in this league. Anyway, let's get to uh, to Dana's email. He starts out, by the way, with some uh, props. He's a big Storm fan, mm. and he's uh, moved up north, and now he's become a Peterborough fan as well. So he, he's got one from each side, the Peets and the Storm. But he says he loves the new uh, format of the podcast. Is his favorite color maroon? It's got to be the case, right? Okay, well played. Uh, he says he likes what we're doing on the podcast this year because it's not quite as Kitchener-centric. We do, of course, broadcast Kitchener Rangers games, and where the team goes, we go. We try to bring you stories from the road, sometimes quite literally from a hotel room like we're doing today in Erie. But we are trying to put a greater focus on the league in general and bring you some stories. So Dana likes that. Thanks for the compliment, Dana. By the way, remember the email address is farwellandpope at gmail.com. Here's his question. Given the near robotic state that is minor hockey now, are the players so good that the goalies are just behind? So he went in to talk about, it's a pretty lengthy email, but he's talking about the, the way that the game is taught now at the younger levels. And you had a pretty good rant about development of goaltenders in Canada uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. So he's wondering if the players, because of the skills development they get, and it's just routine going out there, practicing the skill over and over and over again, are the goalies behind? And furthermore, should the CHL allow for overage goalies to not count towards your overage spots on your roster? Over to you, Pope. I think the uh, the roboticness of practice and, you know, the to practice for a goaltender you're facing a lot of shots that's pretty robotic they should be able to (laughs) stop the pox moving forward um but i think just the non um specific concentration on the goaltender skills and the skating and the position and what you do the goaltender position is pretty robotic you watch some of the nhl goalies and even around the league they all do the same thing when the puck's in a certain position here's where they want to be here's the position they want to be in um so I don't know if the roboticness of a practice is making the players that much better. I just think there's a lack of concentration on goaltending because there's only two on each team. So to have a coach out there to only coach two people where these other guys, you know, there's obviously 20 on a team. Um, but on, on that note, I, I did get a note about um, goaltending training and how I said that, um, you know, it's not there in a lot of places. Hey, uh, mother in uh, Kitchener Minor Hockey reached out and actually said uh, KMHA is actually providing dedicated goaltending training now. Um, Major Adam AAA, so it's his first year uh, for a dedicated goalie coach. Every other week, uh, they have league-provided training at a dedicated goalie school. It's not the norm. Uh, Kitchener just has really good competition for goaltending, and she believes that's why um so they also do extra training at other goalie schools but kitchener is one of those minor hockey uh, organizations that at a certain level once they hit adam they're getting that goaltender specific coach which i think is just great because then you start to have that development and you start to think about the technique style as opposed to just your head coach who uh never played goalie is like go in there and stop the puck because that's what I got. <laughs> Go in there and stop the puck. I had no idea, right? Put your stick on the ice. Thanks. You know, yeah, I probably would have had that one. I appreciate it. Um, as far as the overager, I, I love that idea. I really do. The overage goaltender not counting. Um, I don't know how 
how many teams would utilize it um, because I think if your goaltender is good enough to be an OA anyway, he's probably going to be one of your three OAs. So it just gives you a better forward too. It, but it also uh, benefits those teams that draft the position well. Um, and there's not many out there that do. Yeah, I like the OA goaltender too, but I, a slightly different take. I think that what it offers you is the opportunity to keep a goalie as an overager and, and get him those games, which can only help his development, as opposed to being in a situation where you're thinking, geez, you know, the, the, we might do better with the three skaters as opposed to the goaltender, so we're going to go and patch up the goal some other way. Where And you basically what you end up with now is some 20-year-old goaltenders that end up going right into the CIS or out of hockey completely because they didn't really just have a home. Uh, and as we, I think, have to play catch-up with goaltending development in this country right now, and I know Hockey Canada is aware of it too, uh, I think that would make a lot of sense just to give these these guys their extra reps out there. And, and obviously, if it's not costing that OA spot on the roster, uh, it allows you it allows you to do that. Uh, one more point on minor hockey too. Last time we talked about goaltending, we talked about the cost of goaltending. And in Waterloo, uh, they cover the cost for goalies in the league. So that obviously is not one of the barriers uh, but we still have to play catch up overall when it comes to all of this all right i guess it's time we should get to uh our other buddy too who can you imagine when you and i are around for 500 games like that's ever gonna happen have you not done 500 already i have no idea how i'm sure you have no idea i'm sure you have i think i'm at like 100 it's <laughs> so a long way to go uh 500 it's it's a big milestone it's a nice little number um i'm sure our friend down here in erie aaron cooney um is probably aiming for a little higher than 500 and hoping that once he gets up uh, around maybe 700 he's moving on from the ontario hockey league but you want to talk about guys that are hard working this guy down here in erie is the he wears about 16 different hats i think he does the marketing the head sales gig, the play-by-play voice, the media relations with the team, all the mid-period video for the Erie Otters, the pre-game video for the Erie Otters. This guy does it all when it comes to the Otters. First off, Cooney, I gotta ask, you wear so many hats here. What is your job title? I, I think I change it every uh, every so often. I actually just went, I kind of purge titles from other uh, other teams, depending on what I'm doing that week, I guess. Um, and it was funny because the one guy in the office asked me, and he's like, oh, look at you, you added partnership or senior partnership manager. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it sounds kind of good, right? Like, that's the one on top of it. But um, no, I, I, I saw that on somebody else's <laughs> LinkedIn, and I was like, that, that's kind of what I am. I am the most tenured partnership sales guy here so we'll just add that in there um but it's a yeah a lot of everything uh and i just radio guys the easiest thing to say i think radio guys sales marketing intermission host uh big screen guy eerie otters aficionado i just don't do the uh the zamboni that's the last thing i'm trying to get onto if i can if you drive the zamboni during intermissions too then that'll be the uh the the complete the uh complete the cycle i I need to know if the job titles come with the the dress code here like look at a three-piece suit it's either you're keeping up with west wolf or you're putting us all to shame on the circuit it, this is going to go to west wolf because when i look back now my first couple of years all did i have some bad suits like i don't think they even fit and i look back and i was talking I remember talking to you know i mean connor mcdavid we were on sportsnet 12 times a year with mcdavid <laughs> so you're seeing these tv guys and i'm in suits that they're not fitted they you know they they're probably a size too big because i'm coming out of college and and now it's like oh, i gotta just, i guess i'm making up for it it seems <laughs> like um but i've learned a lot from west you see what he has he's a little more outlandish and probably takes a little more chances than i will i know where my uh where my wheelhouse is um 
the three-piece, I saw this was on sale. I, I, I'll watch for the bargain bin here. So uh, um, when I found this one on pretty good price, I pulled the trigger. And I was like, look at the three-piece of suit here for Thanksgiving night. <laughs> so what's the secret for a couple of thrubs like us that are wearing garbage clothes? Well, no offense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, as I was telling you uh, just off air just a second ago, um, there's a wrestling show that I went to last night. Here, the guy that's uh, kind of the promoter and also a wrestler, well, he uh, happens to also run the men's warehouse here in Erie. So... I go talk to him. I go to the shows. Big Lean Jog McChesney. He's the uh, he's a, he's a local the local favorite here. Won his match last night that we got to see, um, and he takes care of me when I, when I go up. He, you know, if something's in town. He's like, hey, this this look this will look pretty good on you when I stop by. So, uh, he's a pretty good salesman on top of it too. Aaron, we love talking to you when we come here. You are synonymous with the Erie Otters, but there's even a greater occasion this time around because you recently called your 500th Erie Otters hockey game. Has that sunk in yet? Like 500 is a heck of a milestone. It finally did um, that Sunday afternoon. There's so much that goes into a a home game, and that game was um, pretty busy between our Erie Seawolves night that we had. Um, We had the Goodwill here for donation collection night. so I was kind of buzzing around all pregame and never really sat down to think about it. And it wasn't until um, that Sunday afternoon we were in Mississauga. Um, we, we kind of had a mix-up at the at the team breakfast and didn't get to. I stopped at the Starbucks instead and had a had a croissant. Is uh, something happened with the reservations, but it didn't matter. That's when I got sat, sat down and just scrolled through the Twitter notifications and everybody reached out. Um, you know, I got to read. The, I read the article that that Mark Scheig wrote from the hockey writers station here in Erie. The great comments from you, Popper. I really appreciate it. And the the note from you as well, Mike. But um, yeah, I sat back and, and thought about it, and it's like this is uh, it's come a long way from a guy that went to a school that didn't we didn't have a hockey team. I this is what I wanted to be a hockey broadcaster. I'm not a huge fan of many of the other sports. Baseball is too slow for me. I, I enjoyed calling college basketball um, when I was still in university. Um, but I just wanted to be a hockey broadcaster. This is what I wanted to do as my sport and. Um, to go from calling a few high school games and a couple showcases with like it was like it was like an eight and eight and under and then a ten and under and it's like whatever I could put on a reel <laughs> and it just happened to work out that it was also the cheapest guy available come out of school when Sherry Bassman was looking to hire a broadcaster. <laughs> um, it all just kind of came into play. So and yeah, thinking about that and and just figuring out my way that first year too and, and how much this, this brotherhood between the OHL broadcasters are and how welcoming they were for. A 23-year-old kid that, frankly, the only junior hockey I knew was watching World Juniors. I had you didn't know about the the OHL. You knew Connor McDavid was at the Erie Otters, and was like, okay, there's a team up there, but yeah. never went and watched. And, you know, never did anything OHL-wise or realized how big it was. And it was kind of a it was a real crash course and trial by fire um, to be thrown in with, with McDavid for my first two years and uh, everything that we went through and the way the team was to those first four seasons. But you know, it's a lot of fun, and I look back at um, I've been blessed to just to have this job to, to be able to say that I wake up um, work with a hockey team get to travel and call a hockey game it's uh, it, it, it's it's pretty amazing that you set a dream and you do work work towards it and you know if you if you, if you bust your ass and it can happen so I'm sure we'll, we'll get to McDavid in a minute because I don't think maybe in a decade from now when you're talking about your you know 1500th or 2000th that you'll still be talking about days of mcdavid <laughs> but you you mentioned another name sherry basson what was it like being around a guy like sherry i it's also funny because at the same time um 
as that was coming out, I was cleaning out my phone, and I have the voicemail from Sherry Basson still saved. And he called me and said, "Hey, we're taking a chance on you." <laughs> like the first, the first time he called me, because I, you know, I probably ignored the phone call, seeing a, a Toronto phone number. Like no one from Toronto's calling me. Like you know, um, didn't think about it. But Bass is uh, Bass was great, and I got to see him too. Um, in Mississauga that Sunday, he was at the game, and just kind of all kind of came together too to see see Bassin again, talk to him, see him from time to time on the road. We're just in Oshawa too, and um, so he you know get to hear hear a few stories and talk to him a little bit and learn what's new. I know he's like the bionic man with all these different uh, surgeries he's had and hip replaced. He's had his eyes fixed and everything, but um, I mean he I I owe a lot of gratitude to him for uh, for recognizing me, seeing you know here's a kid that's hungry and just wants a shot, gave me a shot and. I uh, was able to kind of take it and run with it to, to where I'm at now. But Bass is it was always one of my favorite interviews, too. Like, if you could sit down and you actually didn't interview him. You just turn the mic on and he would just go. <laughs> yeah. And you 15 minutes later, you're like, all right, got to cut this down to maybe two intermissions. And we can just split it throughout the broadcast. Um, but no, Sherry Bassin was uh, he was great to learn from a guy that's so passionate about his players and his team and the people that he works for or the works with. Um, you know, he, he's a, he was a great influence on the first couple of years that I was in this league. 500 games ago, it all started for you on the road at the Sleeman Center. What do you remember about that game versus the Storm? I remember uh, I, I was nervous. I was sweating. And I'm, I get up to get off the bus. And Hart, Chris, Chris Hartsburg, uh, head coach now, but he was an assistant that year with the Otters, he was the first one to look at me. He goes, Cooney, feeling nervous? And I was just like, oh, I'm, no, I'm fine. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> and then uh, uh, then get into the building. I think that was the funniest thing is, is – um, Figuring out, figuring out the buildings. Like first time in there, it's like, where do I go? Like, who can I ask? And so we had a lot of new staff uh, as well as uh, Chris Novak was putting together his staff. So there's a lot of just new people trying to figure it out. And luck, I was fortunate enough to meet um, pretty much the entire Storm broadcast crew um, with Steve Fitzsimmons and, and Larry Millad um, and Bill Granger at a. Uh, it was they were do they hosted uh, a game in Hanover where Steve Fitzsimmons. Is, was the president of the one of the minor league hockey affiliation? Uh, so we had a preseason game there, um, and I got to meet them. They did the broadcast, and it was fortunate enough to. That was my first game, so I ran into them. They showed me the ropes. Here's where to go. Here's the media room, coffee lines, everything. You're going to be up here, um, moving over. And then I remember just being nervous. And then you hit pregame show 15 minutes before the game, and then you just kind of it was just a blur, right? You just kind of sit in and you just do what I've been doing on basketball games and, and everything else for the last couple of years. Um, and it, I remember, uh, all I really remember and then after the broadcast is just that the, the overtime goal by Zach Leslie that ended. And that was, that, was, that was pretty much it. Other than that, I couldn't tell you. I know they lost. It was 4-3 was the final. But, yeah, Zach, Zach Leslie in overtime, remember that goal. But then you sit there afterwards, it's like, I just called an OHL game. This was pretty sweet. It's like, all right, let's just want to do another one now at that point. So, uh, no, it was, it, that, that first game was a lot of fun. When we talked to uh, Jay McKee about you, um, he mentioned that one of the things he really liked was the, uh, the odd uh, musical lyric at the end of a, a Erie Otter's goal. Did that start game one, or when did you bring that along? I, um, I, I was doing that in, in college. Like, uh, so I'm a Mike Lang guy, right? Yeah. So he has his own sayings, um, and with 
my, the way my family is, is we kind of talk in movie quotes or music, like any any lyrics, something like that. That's just how you come to, if, if you're at Thanksgiving dinner, you'd be going back and forth with different movie quotes and pulling things out. My mom, she never understands them, but like, <laughs> so she always thinks we're ignoring her or being mean, but no, it's just, this is how me and my siblings talk. Um, so let's just stick. And then the more and more you're like, these, this would be, this kind of fits. Like, if you just put it out there, like, it kind of fits to punctuate, punctuate a goal um, or, or, or a play or something like that. And um, they just kind of became my, my own little sayings. And, and with Jay, uh, when it was his first year as the associate with, with Kitchener, um, I think it was a playoff game, but he would text me, like, see if you can fit this word in the broadcast. <laughs> and I think the one, the one day was, like, spatula. I was like, I'll get that in there. Let's see what I can do. It was an intermission, and then, like, the next period, was able to find a, an opportunity for it where somebody just kind of flipped the puck out. And, and then Jay texts me right after, and he's like, nice. We're going to get it in there. So I'll never forget that one, too. But, yeah, oh, even working with Jay was a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure you guys had a yeah, few years with him. Um, it's unfortunate. I usually I like to catch up with him whenever, whenever Kitchener rolls into town. But, um, yeah, Jay... Jay, I know he's, uh, that's all kind of the, the breaking news here, but I don't think he's going to be too long before somebody scoops him up and he ends up back on another, on another bench. We already mentioned the name McDavid, and we can't really talk about the Erie Otters ever again, as Chris mentioned, without mentioning the name McDavid, but that was just one of, of a handful. Strom, Dabrinkit, Radish. I mean, there, there was an unprecedented era here in Erie, PA, four straight 50-win seasons. How special did it feel to be a part of? Because it must have dawned on you as it was happening how special everything was. It was, you know, it was... Uh, it's wild to think about now. Um, and I think at the same time, too, us in the organization were spoiled with that, knowing, you know, 50 wins, it, I mean, never happened four times in a row in, in, in the CHL. And, and the players that came through, like, it. Uh, when you look at it now and you see the... Nothing against the guys out there on the honors in this roster that you're, you're building now, but that talent level that that ninety within ninety seven and ninety eights that were that were assembled here. It, uh, I mean, it's wild to think about that this it may never happen again. You look at the, the number of teams that can win fifty games in, in a season and try to match that three more times. Um, yeah, you, th- you think about that group and especially that that fifteen year that fourteen fifteen year McDavid's last season, where Strom wins a scoring title. And it still is, isn't the most talked about guy on, 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 on the team. If he's on any other team, same with Alex Dabrinkit. You know, Potts 51 is a rookie that same season as, a, as an undersized 17-year-old. It was, uh, it was just a, it was a wild season with all those guys. And if they're on any other squad, you're probably looking at, you know, the media attention, wherever it may be, if uh, any other OHL team. Um, but because McDavid kind of overshadowed everybody, um, but I think of all those guys, every night you're, you're, you know, got a lot of work on the goal call. So I got to, between with those guys, that's probably why it kind of sounds so natural fitting yeah. in some of those sayings. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the way that they, you know, possess the puck, the way Chris Knobloch had that team coach to uh, work to their strengths and puck possession and just, you know, excelling with your skill, um, everything just kind of worked and fit. It was, uh, it, it was a lot of fun to watch and, and think back on, but, and also to think, it's, this may never happen again, you know, for, for anybody in the CHL to see again. You spent a lot of time around Connor, obviously, and especially in that final year where you, you mentioned in the article you had people calling you nonstop, and then his hand breaks and your phone's just constantly vibrating yeah. during a broadcast. But Connor was pretty quiet in the media, and he still is. What was your, your best memory of your time with Connor? Um, well, everything he did on the ice. I mean, I think that was just the joy there was you, you got to see this kid 
dominate as a 17-year-old and turning 18 and then into the, into the draft and everything. Um, and thinking about that Sault Ste. Marie series where he, I mean, pretty much with the team on his back. I mean, Erie was down two of their, uh, two of their regular defensemen. And, you know, without Curtis McDermott, they, they were shorthanded as well. Uh, and he just picked the team up and ran with, I think it was, what, 18 points in six games or something as a team record. It's like, it was just absolutely nuts. And for him, it was like it was nothing. He didn't, uh, just didn't bat an eye, just went out and just wanted to play hockey. And I think that was, for him, his development, I've told people this before, this. Erie was the perfect spot for him to stay away from a lot of the media attention. Not that, you know, you knew he was here, but he's kind of hidden outside of the, uh, the, you know, the hockey hotbed throughout Ontario. Um, but for him, you know, he, he knew his obligation. He, know, he knew every time we were going in on the road, he's going to talk because everybody's going to ask him the exact same questions. You, and you, you one stop in Peterborough, same questions. Kingston the next night, same questions. And he... he he did his due diligence with all of that and, and, and knew what, what came with the territory. Uh, he's a very professional kid for just being 17 years old. Um, but, you know, that's seeing him just every night in the good do his thing and, and then being part of the, uh, the, the, the security guard that, that I had to pick up that uh, addition to the title as well at times when we were on the road wherever trying to fight him through crowds to get on the bus to go to the next spot. And uh, people were, you know, I'm getting called names because it's uh, they want their autographs and they tell you, hey, you know, get a real job, buddy. And it's like, but I, I do have a real job. Yeah. This guy's got we got to get this guy on a bus because we got to go to the next game tomorrow. Um, but in you know, even with that, bringing kids in towards the locker room, like out of the we were in Kingston, are um, lined up outside. He, you know, he wanted to bring the kids in to sign for them. So the kids came inside that were outside. You know, to near their locker room, he signed for all them. Then we fought through the rest of the, the crowd to, to get to the bus. But that's just that's the way he thought, and, and you know he knows how special it is to see a hero, meet a hero, and already knew kind of what he was at, at that time already. We're standing in a hallway outside the broadcast booth here at the Erie Insurance Arena. We've all got a job to do tonight. Some of us for the 503rd time, some of us for not quite that long. But before we let you go, and you mentioned getting called names when you're trying to protect Connor McDavid from McDavid to McLovin. I'm guessing the people weren't calling you that, but if anybody's ever met you, we can certainly see the resemblance. Where did McLovin come from? It's It actually started, and this is a funny, because I gave Mark the same answer. Um, I was interning with the sports talk station in Pittsburgh, uh, and I showed up to cover my first Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers practice. And you go into the, the practice facility, and there's a, you got a sign-in, media sign-in, and the guy that was working at his name was Ty. Um, great guy, but he could tell I was first, you know, fresh blood, intern coming in. All right. And he makes all the media passes, so it's just a sticker that they slap on you. And he writes McLovin on it as I'm signing in. And I'm like, oh, really, dude? Like, it's my first day. Like, <laughs> this is what I got to walk into? And, of course, he's like, yep, good luck. And then sent, sent me on my way, and there's all these, you know, all the guys that I have you know, heard on the news or heard on the, the radio. I've read in the newspaper, all, you know, sports writers around Pittsburgh. And the, the guys were like, McLovin, what's going on? So I, immediately I was a hit right there. Um, so everybody, he, every day he would, he would put McLovin on. And, and that kind of carried over when I interned with the Penguins. I covered some Penguins games for the, for the radio station too. And then when I got the internship with the Penguins, McLovin, they're like, oh, McLovin's back. I remember you. And it just continued there. Came up here to the Otters, and I think it was Chris Hartsburg that was like, he looks like McLovin. And then it, it was like, hey, this is just going to take it with me, I guess. This is, uh, is going to be my nickname. So that's uh, kind of the, the start of it, and it's just continued here. And I just embrace it at this point. It's, it's fun.
really, really quick. You mentioned Pittsburgh. Uh, you interned with the Penguins. You were here with McDavid. Crosby or McDavid? Well, I, I told people before, if I was, this was his draft year. And it was like, man, if I was Pittsburgh and you want to just set yourself up, I would look to trade Crosby to draft McDavid and have that ready to go for the next uh, <laughs> 20 years of that next franchise player. But I, I get it. I, I mean, the way the game's going, you, you need speed. And nobody has more speed and the, the high end speed skill level that he has uh, than Connor McDavid. Like, that is – he – I love I, – I still have Pittsburgh in my heart, but it's, it's Connor McDavid. Thanks for doing this, Aaron. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. He is McLovin, <laughs> as the as the, the movie quote is. I am McLovin. He looks like him. I love the nickname, um, but when it comes to good guys around the league, Cooney's one of the best. So the Mike McKenzie era has officially begun in Kitchener. Uh, the unanswerable question, I will remind you right now, if this team gets onto a run now that it's fully healthy, was it the coaching change or was it the health of the lineup? We're never going to know the answer to that, but we do know that Rangers Nation was restless. This move made waves. The firing of head coach Jay McKee across the Ontario Hockey League. We saw lots of notes about it from fellow broadcasters and others in media who were saying that Jay always treated them with respect and they look forward to seeing him back in the game. Again, nine wins in the first 10 games. Points in nine of 10. Or points in nine of 10, sorry. And then you look at it now with two wins in their last 12 games. But the first game without Jay McKee their best player in the first half of the season, Jacob Bingham, back. It's very interesting that the trust wasn't there in Jay for when Ingham came back. I'll leave you at that. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.